0: Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis.
1: This is Meredith Curtis. We're so excited that you're with us today, and this is our hundredth show, our hundredth podcast. So we are celebrating with a hundred homeschool hacks. Now, of course, we couldn't fit it all in one show. We tried, but homeschool moms just have to explain things. So this is part one, and we are going to get started right away with five lifestyle of learning hacks. So I've always told people, you know, homeschooling, it doesn't just happen in the hours where kids sit down and do their schoolwork, but homeschooling is a lifestyle of learning. And so how can you cultivate that in your homeschool? Well, first of all, cultivate a sense of wonder in your children. Wake up each morning with an enthusiasm. I wonder what will happen today, you can say to your kids, or I wonder what we'll learn today. Tip number two, fill your house with beautiful, fascinating books of all kinds. Get beautiful picture books, get historical fiction, biographies, science books that tell the how and the why and have beautiful pictures of animals and machines and trucks and all kinds of cool things. Fill your house with classics and novels and mysteries. And if your child likes a series, buy every single one of it. And one thing you cannot duplicate is teaching your child. How to read tip number three meet interesting people who do interesting things and visit them while they do those interesting things so maybe you have a friend who decorates cakes ask if you can come over and watch her decorate cakes maybe you have a friend that's a dentist ask if you can come in and very quietly watch what he does all day there's so much to learn from meeting interesting people and finding out about what they do Be an investigative reporter. This is tip number four. Ask what where who when why how so when you're studying science ask what and why and who and when and you know how did this happen when you're studying history find out who the people are involved and what happened and why it happened and when it happened and that makes learning more fun especially if you say okay guys we're going to be investigative reporters now Tip number five, travel, explore, get up and go, take field trips, vacations, hikes, nature hikes, treks, adventures, and learn on your adventures. So if you travel to a new city or you travel even to the downtown of your city, make it your goal to learn one new thing and say, okay, everybody, when we get back in the car, we're going to all share one thing that we learned. And it doesn't have to be a schoolish fact. It can be, oh, This building has been in the Meisch family for a hundred years. That's something they learned. It's interesting and it's fun.
2: Hi, I'm Laura Nolette. I'm a homeschooling mom of four and I'd like to share with you five tips on organization and scheduling. Number one, have a shelf for each student to keep their books and keep shared books and supplies in a central location. If possible, don't put any of these in bedrooms. That's how books get lost. We used a commercial kitchen rolling shelving unit which had bins. We kept it in the hallway so everybody knew where to find everything they needed. My friend used a small three-drawer plastic file cabinet kind of a thing for each student. Use whatever works for you. Number two, train everybody to put things away when they finish with them and lead by example. Don't allow yourself to get frustrated by repeating yourself. Just do it. It takes a long time to form a new habit and even longer to break a bad habit. If children see mom and dad always putting things back where they belong, they're more likely to pick up the habit. When anybody finds an item in the wrong place, remind them to put it back where it belongs when they are finished. Remember, and remind your family, the goal is to keep things where they belong so everybody can find them next time. Number 3. Purchase all books, materials, and supplies needed for the year before classes start. There's nothing worse than a reading assignment being due before the book arrives in the mail or before you get to the library. It's much easier to have all the books and supplies in the house than it is to track everybody's assignments so that you can get them in time to do the work. Number 4. Use a calendar for each student. Divide books up and write assignments in the calendar annually, monthly, or weekly. I did this every summer. If I didn't plan out the whole year before it started, we very quickly got behind schedule. In the beginning, I used a paper calendar that I printed on two pages per month. Later, I discovered Google Calendar. That and Apple Calendar both allow you to create multiple calendars which can be named for the student and subject. For example, I call Joshua's History Calendar... Jay Hist. Here's an example of how I divided up books. In the nine months we do school, my son needs to read nine literature books for one class. Book number one has 174 pages and September has 21 reading days. 174 divided by 21 is 8.3. So he must read nine pages a day for the first 20 days. The last day he won't have to read so many. Some students can stay on track if they know what needs to get accomplished through the week. Some parents like to look at and schedule one month at a time. You do what works for you. Number five, put daily schedules in writing for mom and each student. We do what Meredith calls block scheduling. Because we don't know exactly how long each subject will take on a given week, we set out large blocks of our days to do multiple tasks. We know right up front that everybody needs to get up, eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and go to bed. So we set those events as brackets. Set a wake-up time. Set chores that must be done first thing, like quiet times, brushing teeth and hair, and making the bed. Then they can eat breakfast. After they clean up their breakfast mess, they do math, science, and history. Those subjects must all get attention before lunch. After they clean up their mess, it's time to tackle writing, literature, and foreign language. This is just an example. It's best to begin with the hardest classes, you know, the ones they fight the most against. Make sure that they do math every day and any foreign languages they're studying as well. We had a different schedule for each day of the week, so don't be surprised if you need to do that too.
3: Hi, I'm Kate Nolette. I'm the mother of three toddlers, a four-year-old, a just-turned-three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And I'm going to be sharing with you five tips for preparing and teaching your little ones to read. Tip number one, read every single day out loud to your children starting at birth. I think the key to your children wanting to learn to read and having a good attitude about it is that they like reading. And that starts with making reading something that's rewarding and exciting and enjoyable and the key to that I think starting from birth is that reading is something that's emotionally bonding we sit on the couch, we sit in mommy's bed we snuggle together and we read I use reading to comfort them if they fall down and are hurt I kiss them, I pray for them and then let's read a story to reassure them if they're feeling scared let's read a book together or as a reward if you finish this chore we'll sit down and read your favorite story All that is making reading a privilege and a treat. And as a side note, I really do encourage minimizing or totally avoiding television and other screen time. Studies have shown that television programs that teach preschoolers like Sesame Street and more current ones, and then things on screen like LeapFrog, that their educational benefits to children, the things they learn, don't outweigh the drawbacks to things like their attention span and the brain processes that are taught through reading a book those are all hindered through screen time so minimize your screen time for your kids get really good picture books with engaging rhymes and entertaining stories. The more little ones I have, the more discriminating I get about what picture books I like and which ones I don't. And sometimes you can just tell there's a rhythm, there's a flow to it. The words capture imagination. The rhyme pattern is smooth. I hate reading picture books where the rhyming pattern feels awkward and it doesn't really fit. Throw those books out. Like, Don't read them to your kids. If you aren't enjoying and engaging with them, then they probably aren't either. But anyway get good picture books, and, again, start from birth. So for my brand-new babies, they don't even want to read a board book. They can't even focus beyond your eyeballs. So I read out loud as I'm reading to myself, such as my Bible, every day. Then as they get bigger, by about six months, they'll sit in my lap, and we can turn board books and point to things, and they'll start to engage with that, and soon they'll start turning the pages, which is also a great motor skill activity. My all-time favorite for my little, little ones is this. This thing I discovered through my mother-in-law called Indestructibles. And they're made out of plastic, I believe. And they cannot be ripped, torn, mashed, or destroyed. They are literally indestructible. My one-year-old, she's 15 months, and she loves them. Loves these books. She has these favorites, Hello Farm, My Sweet Home, and Love You Baby. And we read those books about 20 times in a row every single day. But those times are bonding. She loves them. She will then sit by herself and read these books. All three of my children, even the one-year-old, will sit by themselves and read their own little books, even though they can't read words yet. All of that is preparing them to be excited to learn to read. Also, reading comprehension starts with pointing to pictures and asking questions about them. Then the children will start to talk about characters in the story, pointing to the picture Oh, he's jumping rope with his friend. Yes, and he really likes it. So you kind of let them first engage with the pictures. Then they'll start to be connecting with the story in the pictures. And eventually they'll start asking questions about the story or making comments about the story, even if it's not in the pictures. That is the key to reading comprehension. A big thing in the Charlotte Mason method is narration as a preparation for writing. And when children start pointing to pictures and saying, car, ball, don't stop them. That's not them just interrupting the book. That's them beginning reading comprehension. It's really exciting. So, around three, it's a good idea to start telling your children's stories as well as reading to them. My dad and my husband both do this to my two boys, the older ones. They'll tell them these 30 minute stories about adventures. My dad will tell them stories with their own names in them and they're going on adventures and going on these quests and finding buried treasure and they're so engaged. My little boys are so engaged with it because it's about them. But they're learning now to be able to listen to and comprehend stories that don't even have pictures, which is the beginning to being able to read chapter books. Starting about two, I start reading longer stories. Golden books tend to have more words per page. James Harriet's Little Stories About People. Beatrix Potter is another one with longer stories. And then we start reading chapter books. My three-year-old, starting from about two and a half, would sit with me and my four-year-old as we read chapter books. We read the boxcar children together. My three-year-old will ask questions. He engages with it. I find that after nap, eating a snack and reading together is a great time to do our chapter book reading. So tip one, read together from birth. They will, by the time they're able to read words, be so excited to get to read on their own for themselves because they already love to read. Tip number two. Play sound games, phonics, and all the hard things that go into being able to read words starts with the simple little activities of sound games. It can be as simple as saying the sheep says "ba," say "ba," Susie say "ba." That is actually sound games for babies. They're learning "ba ba." When you're correcting your one or two year old because they're saying "park it" instead of "market," and you say "market." you're starting to help them hear sounds and words, which is the foundation of learning to read. Helping them sound out new words. Rhymes and rhyming games are another way. Just rhyming words, car, that car is far, and then the older kids will chime in, har, tar, and you're coming up with rhymes, and they'll have a lot of fun with that. All this prepares for phonemic awareness, which has to do with tip number three. Tip number three is teach phonemic awareness before phonics. I learned this when I was working for a publishing company that produced reading textbooks for grades K through 6. I'd never heard of it before. I had to do a lot of research for them and got really excited at how this helps solve some of the challenges that arise in teaching children phonics. So what is phonemic awareness and what is phonics? Phonics is when we associate a letter with a sound. So we see the letter B and we recognize that that makes the sound B. We see the letter S and we recognize that that makes the sound S. And that is phonics. When we associate a letter or a combination of letters like CH with sounds. And English is a really fun language because we actually have 70 different sounds. But we only have 26 letters. And even if you include the diphthongs, things like CH, SH, we still only have, I believe, 46 or so of those. But yet we have 70 plus sounds. So it is a lot of fun trying to associate all these different letter combinations with the sounds that they can make. So that's phonics. Phonemic awareness is learning about phonemes, and phonemes simply means the sounds that make up all the words in our language. Like I said, there's about 70 or so, but if there are only 26 letters and 46 combinations. So if you can learn to just start hearing those phonemes or sounds in words, then later when you have to start associating letters with those sounds. You're a step ahead of the game. Most children, when they're learning to read, are having to learn how to blend the sounds, k, at, says cat, and to recognize the C, the A, and the T say k, at. But if you teach them how to hear k, at, in cat, and how to blend into the word cat before they ever see letters in that equation then when they start learning letters make sounds they're only doing one brain process instead of two they can start doing phonemic awareness at about two years old it starts with learning to recognize and hear syllables you can clap the syllables in words so you say man and then you clap with them Man, one clap. You say sandbox, and you clap with them. Sandbox, two claps. Or you say railroad, two claps. Railroad. So you clap for each syllable. Then you can learn how to blend compound words. Okay, Johnny, playground. Guess what word that makes? Playground. And you can even coach them through in the beginning. Play. Playground, playground, until you've blended it for them. But eventually they'll start saying, playground, sandbox, guess the word, sandbox, seashore, guess the word, seashore. So you start blending words to make compound words, then blending syllables, bay, bee baby, and then eventually you're blending just the sounds, and my four-year-old has gotten so good at this, so I can give him the sounds that make up the word mouse, or cookie, or woman, and he can blend it into those words. Another aspect is identifying the initial and final sounds. What's the sound you hear at the beginning of the word banana? B. Buh, buh. What's the sound you hear at the beginning of the word mouse? Mmm. My three-year-old can't do that yet. It took my four-year-old until he was getting close to four or after four to be able to start hearing initial sounds and then final sounds. And now at about four and a half, he's able to segment words, which is where I give him the word cookie, and he says, -uh And that's huge. So eventually, they're able to blend sounds. Now, I have a book I love that kind of is a cheat for this, so I don't have to come up with these activities. It's called Sounds Abound, and it uses classic children's stories, like if you give a mouse a cookie or caps for sale or corduroy, and you read the book, and then there's like 20-plus activities. What I do is I read the story each day and do one activity for a whole month. My three-year-old can clap syllables, and sometimes he can rhyme. My older one can segment and blend two-syllable words. So I'm keeping phonemic awareness going separately from phonics. And with my 4 and year old who's starting to learn phonics, I still do the phonemic awareness separately from his phonics time. Tip four is introduce letter sounds first when you start teaching letters. Research actually shows that teaching the letter names first creates the majority of later spelling issues for kids. They'll misunderstand, and they'll put C when they're writing the word C because they think C says C. Well, C doesn't make that sound. It makes the sounds K or S like in city or scent. So, The ideal thing is to teach them letter sounds before the names. And I recommend in teaching these letter sounds to combine relaxed fun games and formal instruction to teach all the letters and diphthongs. So formal instruction might mean sitting down, introducing the letter, and its primary sound, or all its sounds. With that, I use an ABC book I got from Delightful Reading Curriculum, and there's a page for each letter, and so we come up with all these words that start with the letter and sound, "Mm," the letter that says, "Mm," which is, of course, M, and we get stickers and pictures and glue them in and stick them in for all these M words. So for that, I'm doing one letter a week, and he practices tracing these letters with dry erase, flashcards, and books. And then I combine that with these laid-back fun games. And again, the delightful reading curriculum is where I got a lot of these really cool game ideas and the flashcards you can use for them. We play I Spy, and I say, find a letter that makes the sound. And I tape them around the room, and he finds the S. I put all the letters he knows so far on the fridge, and they find the letter that says R, and he finds the letter R. We play Go Fish. And again, all this, because he's not learning letter names yet, is find the letter that makes the sound whatever it is. Do you have the letter that makes the G sound? Give me all your letters that say H. Huh. H. And that's how we go back and forth with something like Go Fish. We can do that with Bingo. We play a game called Musical Letters where the letters are in a circle and I play music and when it stops, he has to say the sound of the letter that he's on. So this combination of games and then formal instruction seems to work really well for introducing the letter songs. Songs are really helpful, but I would encourage being careful of using a word like ah a apple as another substitute for the letter name because they'll start to point to the letter and say, apple. That letter A isn't apple, it's A." Ah. So we don't want them to associate even a word instead of the letter sound. And it can be really helpful to have a big poster or all the letters on the wall, which my mom did for me when I was little, as something for reference with the game. So he sees, he can't remember what letter says guh, he looks on the poster, he sees the guh-guh-goat, Oh, that letter, and he goes and finds it or says it for Go Fish. Okay, lastly, tip number five. Recent research encourages having children form the words from sounds first rather than starting by reading the word. Okay, what does that mean? So, for example, I tell my oldest son, okay, what sounds do you hear in the word hot? Phonemic awareness is what we're doing here. ah. Okay, now we're moving to phonics. What letter says h huh, and he finds the letter H? What letter says ah and he finds the letter O? What letter says t and he finds the T? He's just written the word hot and then we read it together. Okay, so what does that say? Hot hot Awesome. I'm just learning this tip, but he just, he made a word and then he read the word. And after doing that a bit, then you can start making the word and having him read it. So that's kind of the longer process. But research, for some reason, has shown that kids forming the word first actually have an easier time learning to read. Transitioning to reading words on a page, because all this I'm using letter blocks or letter cards, rather than having him write it or read tiny words in books. And that way he can manipulate them and move them around. But transitioning to reading words on a page can be as simply encouraged as just find the letter that says, mmm, in the book we're reading right now, or you're pouring cereal. Oh, look, what sound does this letter say? And now they're realizing, words, all those words that I'm seeing in my books are made up of the same letters that I'm learning. So just to review your five tips for teaching your little ones to read. One, read every day from birth. Two, play sound games like rhyming. Three, teach phonemic awareness before phonics. Teach them how to identify sounds before they start understanding about letters. Four, introduce letter sounds first when you start teaching letters using combination of instruction with fun games. And five, have your kids start by forming the words from sounds rather than trying to actually read a word.
2: This has all been such great information. Thank you so much, everyone. Let's take a moment now to hear from our sponsor.
0: Powerline Productions wants to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus as you homeschool your children. Because of this, we offer a wide variety of books and ebooks about homeschooling. Joyful and successful homeschooling starts with the basics of getting ready to homeschool, then moves through the nuts and bolts of schooling your own children. Don't miss this great resource. Learn more at PowerlineProd.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-L-I-N-E-P-R-O-D.com. Powerline Productions. Being world changers, raising world changers. You've been listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast on the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. Now back to your host, Meredith Curtis.
4: My name is Marla, and I'm a homeschool grad. I graduated from college with a music degree in piano performance, and over the years, I have given lessons, and also I play keyboard for our worship team at church. I'll be sharing three tips for how to raise a musician. Number one, create a rich musical environment for your children. Begin singing to your children from the start. As they get older, ask questions and comment about the music they're listening to, like, what instruments do you hear? Or make comments like, I love the sound of the piano in this song. Expose your children to different styles of music, especially classical music. You can do this by finding books on music at your library or listening to different style of music by streaming it. Or you can even go to live concerts in your area with your children. Number two, for smaller children, make music fun. If they're toddlers, you can help them clap or move their legs to the beat. If they're a bit older, dance with them and sing along. Uh, You can also have a stuffed animal sing and dance, incorporate musical games into their classes like name that tune or finish the song. Number three, enroll your children in music lessons. This can be either a group or private lessons also be involved with their lessons by listening to them practice at home. You can encourage them by putting on performances for your family where they can either dance or play songs that they've learned from their lessons.
5: Hello, my name is Sarah Jeffords. It's so good to be here with you today. I am a homeschooling mom to three boys. I homeschool my older two boys. And today I want to talk to you about building a home library. I want to just give you a little bit of background information. I did not grow up in a home where there were a lot of books. And so I really did not start reading good literature until after I had given my heart to Christ when I was 19 and I was introduced to home homeschooling families in my church. And that's really where my love for reading and my love for good books began. And so from that time on, I have steadily been building a home library. Now, before I was a mom, and before I got married, I would mostly collect Christian books. But once I started having children, I knew that I would want my children to read a lot of good books throughout their life. And so I started building a home library even when my son was less than one year old. And I'm going to talk to you today about some things that I've done that have been really helpful in helping me to build a home library. So the first thing I would say, the first tip is to work with a reading list. Now, my absolute favorite reading list and my go-to list is actually Meredith Curtis's and she has free reading lists on her website, joyfulandsuccessfulhomeschooling.com. And I love her list because it's all classic literature and great books, which is of course the type of books I want my children to read. And she also has it divvied up by ages and grade levels and so they're super, helpful and what I've actually done is I've printed off her list and I keep a copy in my purse or in my diaper bag with me at all times just in case I'm ever anywhere where there's which I'm going to talk to you about there's ever a place where I'm at where you can find good prices on books I have the list there in front of me I know kind of like the books I'm looking for titles I'm looking for and such like that so I would say start with a list and also I add titles to that list. I have a running book wish list. If I hear someone talking about a good book or happen to be researching curriculum and I come across some good titles, then I'll add them to my list. Though so I will say that Meredith has almost all of them on her list. Her lists are very thorough and very good. So, one, work with the list. The next tip I would say, tip number two, would be to buy books for this season as well as the next so for example even when my son was one years old I wasn't just buying him picture books and board books those though that is what he was mainly reading I'm always trying to think ahead to where he's going to be at the next level because I always want to make sure that I have a plethora of books on hand that he can go up to so for example right now My six-year-old is in first grade and he's really starting to take off in reading. So I wanna make sure that I have chapter books that are not only gonna be easy beginning chapter books, but that I also have chapter books that will push him a little. And that way, it just helps me to feel like, okay, no matter what stage he's at, I have books for him now, but I also have books on hand for when he starts to progress. So tip number two would be though you want to spend the bulk usually of your money on books for this season whatever season your children are at you also want to be thinking ahead okay what are they going to be reading next year or the year after that so again because you want to have a good selection on hand. The third tip I would say that I have found recently in the recent months is using a library app, and I find it so helpful. It's not a library app. it's um there's a ton of different ones that you can use, but it's an app that lets you keep track of all the books that you own. and the one that I have, you use your camera on your phone to scan the barcode now and it makes it really easy when the barcode works. Unfortunately, I have a lot of old, old books that either don't have a barcode or the barcode they use I think is from like an old system, and so it doesn't always work, Which, in which case I just have to type it in, which it can be tedious. If you have a large collection, see, I didn't find this app until I had already have, I already have a huge selection of books, and so it took quite some doing to spend an afternoon going in and scanning and inputting my books but now it's so helpful because again I told you I carry these book lists around with me whether it's in my purse or sometimes I'll take snapshots of them on my phone and that way if I'm ever out and about and I I happen to randomly be at a garage sale or some place where I'm finding a good deal on books then I have my list I'm not buying duplicates that's the great thing about using like a book organizing app or a library book app. It allows you to see what you have on hand so that you're not buying duplicates. You can even build wish lists. Like my app allows me to build a wish list so I know, okay, these are the top books that I'm looking for. Again, because usually I'm shopping for several books at one time. So that's another good tip, having a library or book app. The fourth tip, of course, is looking for good deals. And these are some of my best kept secrets of how I have been able to build a home library without spending a ton of money. The first one is if I'm ever looking for a set of books by the same author. So say I want to buy Hardy Boys books and I want to get multiple volumes. The place I have found to get the best deals is actually on eBay for, again, this is for large sets of one particular author. So if you want all of the Anne of Green Gable books or you want a ton of Nancy Drew books or a ton of Thornton Burgess books, I have found personally that eBay and also used curriculum book sales, that's where I have found really good sets for good deals. And then I just mentioned another place, which would be Curriculum Sales. Even if you're not going to shop for Curriculum, I have found so many good deals on books at Curriculum Sales. And actually, I mostly go just for the used classic literature. I sometimes will shop around for Curriculum, but that's a really good place to get good prices. Uh, you can also shop online. I have two of my favorite websites: are ThriftBooks and AbeBooks.com. I can usually find really good deals. And the thing I like about AbeBooks and ThriftBooks is that the shipping is included, so you don't have to calculate for shipping; it's included in the price. And so you'll kind of get an idea of how much you're paying all together for the book and then another favorite place is thrift shops especially goodwill i love going to goodwill every time i go to goodwill i always scour the book section and i always come home with at least a handful of good classics and sometimes it's not just a paperback it's a hardback and all of their books at least at my goodwill are less than a dollar but I've also done that at other thrift shops. If I ever happen to be in a thrift shop, I always look in their book section and I usually walk away with some real treasures. And then another place you can look is used bookstores. Now, sometimes I can find a good deal out of used bookstores and sometimes I can't. It really just depends on the bookstore You know, sometimes it's just cheaper to get it elsewhere, honestly, but I have found some good deals at used bookstores. Another place that I like to go is I'm actually part of several Facebook groups where people sell used books. And I found some good deals that way. And again, you just have to, you know, I just kind of keep an eye on those, those groups, because sometimes people are selling them for more than you like you could find them cheaper elsewhere, like on thrift books, or a books, because of adding shipping costs. But I've also found people who are selling books for 50 cents or a dollar, and that's another way I've been able to collect quite a few books. And then, lastly, for me, I also always look at what the library is selling. Not just, I know that the library will sometimes have sales, and those are awesome to go to, but I know that at least the two libraries that I visit frequently always have a section where they're selling books and I always scour those sections I usually come away again with some good finds some good classic literature and I personally am always on the hunt for good classic literature unabridged versions of books and that's what I like to collect and that's the bulk of my books and of course picture books and things like that so those are just ways that I have found good deals on books And then my last tip for you, number five, would be to ask for books for Christmas presents and birthday presents from other people. So you can tell aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends, hey, if you want to get my child something, consider getting him a book. You know, if you make an Amazon wish list for your child, you can put titles on there, and people don't necessarily have to buy them brand new. You can say, hey, I have a book list on Amazon. You don't necessarily need to buy them new, but here's some of the titles that I know the kids would really enjoy. And so... Getting books as a gift is always so fun. Not just, I think it teaches our children that books are good and valuable, but also it's a good way for you to build your library without having to shell out more money. So these are my top five tips for building a home library. I hope that you have found them as useful as they have been for me.
1: Hi, I'm Meredith. Here I am again. Here are 10 helpful patterns and habits that you can build in your own life, and especially you want to impart them to your children. And let me tell you a clue. If you want to impart these habits to your children, you should walk in them yourself. Number one, have a quiet time every day with the Lord. That is just a time when you spend reading the Bible and praying. I set this time aside every day, and so does my husband, and all our children have grown up to spend time every morning reading the Word, praying, and worshiping. It really builds an intimacy with the Lord, and it allows you to walk closer to Him when His Word is in your heart, and you're praying and, and surrendering things to the Lord, It really makes an impact on how close you are to Jesus and it will impact you for the rest of your life. Number two, we call this our five things. It's just that every morning we get up, we make our bed, we brush our teeth and hair, we get dressed and we straighten our room and then we have our quiet time or read our Bible. So those five habits go a long way in getting your day off to a great start and they're a great lifelong habit. Number three, greet each other in the morning in a kind way. Say, good morning. I'm so happy to see you this morning. How did you sleep? Are you ready for a great day? Those are ways to greet people rather than, hey, are you awake yet? I need my coffee. You know, be cheerful. Greet one another. It's a great way to start the day. Number four, start school time with math. I know that sounds weird, but Math is a great way to work out your brain. It gets all those neurons chugging along and lighting up all over. And it just connects so many different areas. It's kind of like exercising kind of gets your blood flowing while math gets your brain flowing. So it's a great way to start the day. Number five, read for pleasure instead of watching TV or a movie. Why is that? Well, reading makes your imagination work. It makes your brain work. And so it's not as passive as watching a movie and TV are. I'm not saying to never watch a movie or never watch TV, but read for pleasure. Number six, work first and play second. This is a great habit for all ages. You see, it's best to get the hard stuff out of the way first. Finish your chores, finish your schoolwork and any obligations first, and then play outside, read a book, watch a movie, play on your phone or take photos to post on Instagram. See, I'm talking to moms too, because I know you do that. Number seven, Plug into your local church. Don't just attend on Sunday mornings. Get to know people and build friendships. Pray for leaders and people in the congregation. Serve them. Get involved in a home group. Being plugged into a local church is a great pattern and habit to have in your life. Number eight, tithe and live on a budget finances really trip adults up i know that because i'm a pastor's wife and i counsel so many couples who've really blown it the problem is they never learn to manage money as a child teach your children to give the tithe to the lord he says that it belongs to him and remember that the rest is his too you get to decide how it's spent but you have to give an account of that to the lord so teach your children to honor the lord and how you save spend and give teach even little children to do this number nine if you make a mess clean it up how simple those words sound but imagine if everyone in your home or better yet everyone in leadership in washington dc cleaned up their messes imagine if everybody wiped down the counters paid off their debts and restored relationships that are broken the tenth and final helpful pattern and habit is to do everything with excellence give your best to all that you do without being critical of yourself to walk in excellence and confidence is a great blessing you know charlotte mason talks a lot about patterns and habits and how helpful they are and that education is really about instilling patterns and habits i think you'll find these 10 patterns and habits will be a really helpful in setting your children up for success
6: hi this is juliana curtis I'm a homeschool grad and one of Meredith's daughters. And these are five tips to motivate your child with homeschooling. Number one, though children and teens should do their school just out of honor to their parents no matter what, the best way to lead someone is to win their respect. And so the first tip is to allow the Lord to love your child through you. Your love is finite, but God's love is infinite, so don't try to love with your own love, but let his love flow through you to your child. And by winning their respect in loving them, they will be more motivated to do what you're asking them to. Tip number two. Most children are motivated by a number of different things, so find out what motivates your child. It could be social situations, they're motivated by being around people. It could be that they're motivated by tasks. That would be me. And they love just, you know, being able to check something off. Or they could be motivated just by the learning journey. They love to take things apart and they love the thrill of discovery. So find out what would motivate your child and then play that up. And remember, each of your children are going to be different because every single one of them are unique. And don't assume that what motivates you is going to motivate them. So tip number three, if social activities are what motivates your child, then find out what you can do to add that to their school be part of co-op classes do school with other people or even if you have multiple children have them do some of their classes together have the older ones help the younger ones and in that way they'll be more excited to get their school done Tip number four, combining two here, but if they're task oriented, then teach them, you know, how to make lists and check them off and teach them, you know, the, you know, just different strategies on getting tasks done, like get some easy things done first and then work on the harder ones or vice versa. Or if you only have 20 minutes, you know, make sure that you get things done on your list that are quick. And again, kids who are task-oriented love to check things off. I remember making lists when I was just a little kid, and I loved the thrill of checking them off. And even now as a career woman, I still love (laughs) to write lists down and check things off. There's just such a feeling of accomplishment with that. And as part of tip number four, if your child just loves the thrill of discovery, you know, if you have that three- or four-year-old that is constantly taking things apart, then give them things to take apart. Let them love the experience of learning and discovery and continue to foster that as they get older. And so don't discourage loving to learn, but but find avenues for them to continue building that in themselves. And then tip number five, the last one. I would say this is one of the most important ways of teaching your child and motivating them to love to learn and to want to do their school and to do, you know, whatever you're asking them to. And that is teach them to honor the Lord with their school. You know, God created the universe. He created logic. He created math. He created science. And it's his sovereignty and it's his glory that is woven through all of history. And so it doesn't matter what subject they're learning. There is something about that subject that can teach them about God. God is a god of logic. He's he created the law of thermodynamics, you know? And so when you're when you're learning different school subjects, teach them that, you know, it's not a waste of your time because no matter what, you can be learning something about their savior, about their creator. And that's really exciting. And, you know, that is the best thing for the rest of their life is whatever they're doing, whether it's eating or drinking, doing it all for the glory of God. And so whether they're doing math or doing spelling or writing a research paper teach them to do it all for the glory of God. And that will then be their motivation for the rest of their life. So I hope these tips help you. Good luck.
7: Here are 10 ways to build a solid relationship with your children. Number one, listen to them. Let them talk. Allow them to tell you anything they want so that later in life, there'll be a habit of them speaking to you about anything that's on their heart. Number two, don't use anything they tell you against them. If you're in an argument or you're frustrated with your child, don't use one of those things that they came to you about against them or in a way that would tear down trust. Number three, don't lie. Foster that trust. Lying about even little things can be disastrous. If your children always trust you, when you tell them things they may not agree with later on in life, when they're older, they're more likely to pause and trust your opinion for mean what you say and say what you mean. For instance, if you have certain boundaries and your child crosses that, whatever discipline or consequence no matter how difficult to enforce or inconvenient it's very important that you follow through this builds trust as well because your child knows that you mean what you say children without boundaries are very uncomfortable but children with boundaries studies have shown are very happy so it's very important to mean what you say and say what you mean five find ways to enjoy their interests for example My son loves bugs and creepy crawler critters, every type, but going to zoos and things like that were just out of our budget. So we would buy books or go to the free day at museums where he could learn to enjoy what he wanted and we learned to enjoy things together. Another way is to watch programs about things that they enjoy together. For instance, we would watch a lot of documentaries about bugs and whales and butterflies and flies and every creature that crawled but if there was ever anything that didn't teach things from a biblical worldview we would stop the program and explain why it was wrong
1: number six spend time with your children children spell love t-i-m-e so make time to be with your children Number seven, be a hero to your children. Be someone they can look up to and someone who is the same when you're with your children as when you're out in the world with other people. Number eight, look for the best in your children. Often children, especially as they face the teenage years, can become insecure and they need so much encouragement and they need to know that there's someone who thinks they're wonderful no matter what number nine use their weaknesses to discover their strengths and here's what I mean by that sometimes a born leader can be bossy or a loving compassionate person can be overly emotional and so you can look at someone and say oh my goodness they're so emotional but then if you realize it's because they're compassionate and loving then you can help them to discover their strengths and then to take their weaknesses and bring them under the control of the lord and finally number 10 be affectionate give your children lots of hugs touch them hold them love them pat them on the head pat them on the shoulder give them side hugs give them front hugs (laughs) kiss them children are never too old and never run out of a need to be shown physical affection
2: Wow, that's been a great deal of information. Everybody's been so helpful. I hope you enjoyed all their tips as much as I have. There are still more to come, but we're going to save them for next time. May God bless you and your families and homeschooling, and have a great rest of your night. Until next time, this has been Meredith Curtis, Laura Nolette, and the rest of the Finish World team wishing you the best.
0: Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team talking about 100 homeschool hacks. Please join us in two weeks for part two of this talk. Finish Well Homeschool Podcast can be heard every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.